Today's episode of That Song From That Movie is coming up after this. For all our listeners that own a business, I want to tell you about FedEx Office. If you're just starting or have been running a company for generations, FedEx Office gives you the best way to print marketing materials, posters, signage, graphics and so much more. With FedEx creating, editing, saving and ordering is fast and easy. We are teaming up with FedEx and Podgo to bring our listeners 30% off your next order of $100 or more. You can do that at podgo.co forward slash FedEx. That's podgo.co forward slash FedEx for 30% off your next order. FedEx, the world on time. As Hugh Grant says in Four Weddings and a Funeral, I'm just a girl standing in front of a boy asking him to love today's episode of that song from that movie. What are we here for? If you fall for nothing, Bert, what do you start for? Isn't it? It was the answer was to learn. Thank you for joining that song from that movie, the journey through the very best and worst of movie songs. I am your slightly smaller balls host, Dietrich, and today we're joined by the seventh richest man in England, Alex. <sighs> All right, yeah, well, I was sixth at one point. It's been a bad year. <laughs> you know, you know how to Bezos here, Alex. I told you to invest in Perspex glass. No, I was investing in plastics after the episode of um, the one we did the graduate episode. I was like, yeah, he really talks a good, <laughs> a good deal. So I was like, you know what, plastics. I didn't quite, it wasn't as specific as Perspex Glasty, unfortunately. Maybe that's where I went wrong. I was hoping it was equivalent to the Homer Simpson buying uh, in pumpkin sales in October and hoping they uh, <laughs> they peak around January. <laughs> and we're also joined by proof that there's such a thing as a perfect match, Ben. Who's, who am I a match with? My wife. <laughs> maybe, it's, maybe it's that any time anyone meets you, they just accept that anybody else other than you is a perfect match. It's, it's a real problem, Alex, I'm going to have to tell you now. I mean, you guys know this firsthand. Yeah. Well, you're perfect on this podcast, Ben. <laughs> Stop crossing your fingers, Dee. I know I'm not there, but I know what you're doing. So what have you been watching this week? I watched One Division. Yes, me too. Yes. Not quite what I expected. <laughs> this is only the first two at the time of recording, just for people listening to this in like six weeks' time. Without giving spoilers to plot it, in what way was it not how you expected? I, I feel like I know it's going. it's getting somewhere. It ju- I just wanted to get there a bit quicker. <laughs> Yeah, it's the pace. I really expected it to be a, a lot more sort of frenetic and more trying to figure out what's going on, a bit more sort of almost mind-bending, but really it was just very slow, <laughs> yeah. very of the pastiche it was trying to do. Yeah, very much so. It's hard to describe it without kind of giving spoilers, but yes, it's kind exactly. of like it, in the trailer, it kind of sets it up as a gimmick. Like there's lots of sort of like different time periods when they're kind of set, but it feels like, I, I as I expected in the trailer, that was going to be... Oh, like almost like a scene setter and then things start happening but it's very much like the first two episodes are still a scene setter yeah so it's very unusual right. so yeah i guess i'm i'm intrigued in a way of i, I just want i want to know <laughs> i'm i'm kind of yeah. i don't think i can enjoy it properly because i know it's getting somewhere i just don't think it's getting there quick enough are they half hour episodes yes or is it like they are less less so it's like a sitcom yeah like 26 minutes yeah, yeah. which is also quite off-putting <laughs> At least it makes it more like digestible. Yeah, that's true. I think people with Marvel though are used to digesting three-hour uh, epics <laughs> now, so uh, a half an hour, yes, sitcom style is also knee-jerking in itself. What about you, Alex? The only thing I can remember watching this week is the first episode of Series Two of RuPaul's UK Drag Race. <laughs> Were you shooketh? Shooketh was it? Shooketh? It was okay. 
Yeah, it's it's because the first episode of the new series of the US Drag Race kept mine is quite controversial. Because uh, there's too many lip sync challenges uh, for my liking. <laughs> it was definitely better than that. And I, I do prefer the UK drag queens, I will be honest, because they're, they're like a lot more self deprecating, which I enjoy, as you can imagine, with them being British. I hope that's the quote that's on your gravestone, basically. I prefer <laughs> the UK drag queens. <laughs> I've only ever seen one episode of RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, what it was in these There's like 15 seasons to backwatch Ben Gellman. Yeah, that's the only reason why we, ha- like me and my wife, haven't jumped on it. Is there's so much it feels like I, I've definitely, I definitely to try. That. Yeah, I think right. What you need to do, D, start with season four, and then <laughs> and then watch season four, one? season of the of the US Drag Race. There's only two right. seasons of the UK, or watch the first season of the UK one. Oh, about the Dutch one, I heard that's very good. I've not watched the Dutch one actually. Watch season uh, four and then anyway. then make a decision. Ben, shut up. <laughs> We're talking about <laughs> So what I watched this week, uh, and I wondered if you guys had watched it yet, or tried it yet, was Auntie Donna's Big Old House of Fun mm. used, on Netflix. I used to watch the YouTube series. Um, I haven't actually watched the Netflix yet. No, I've not got around to it yet. I've been meaning to for a while. Never has a show been almost funny more than this. <laughs> I think the web series is quite funny. Like when I remember watching certain episodes, I did find it funny. But I didn't. I don't know what the how they've done it with the TV show. Is it is it still like just a series of sketches? They tried to like make yeah yeah. It's a series of sketches like loosely based around the idea they're all living in the same house together. It sounds sounds like it's very loose. It has the problem of a, a, what a lot of like musical comedy has. Like people like Bo Burnham have the same problem where they make the joke, but because they've got written a full song, by the time you get to the end of the song, you're fed up with the joke. <laughs> Yeah, I thought I always saw the same with Tim Minchin every time I watched like his shows. Yes, yeah, again, similar sort of thing. I think the only person who sort of gets away with it is it's Bill Bailey. It's because <laughs> and it, cause it, he will just stop in the middle of a song and just like, right, moving on to something else. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like sometimes with him, it's more like he does like uh, musical jokes rather than yes, it being like lyrical jokes. Yeah, I think, I yeah. And I think that's kind of why it works. Like weird instruments and different unusual yeah. sounds and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, or does like different versions of different famous songs that people know, you know, that kind of thing. It just yes. it sort of works a bit better. It's not the weird Al Yankovic style of funny songs. So today's episode is the everlasting cover of Love Is All Around by Wet 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 from the British romantic comedy Four Weddings and a Funeral. So to find out what was happening in the world when the movie came out, over to you, Alex. Yeah, I think I feel like we should mention as well first. This is a Valentine special. Oh yeah, I've got to mention that. Yeah, have we not got any like like when we had the Santa visit for Christmas? Have we not got like Cupid coming around the corners? Was <laughs> <laughs> doing like make like a bow and arrow sound. Yeah, that sound effects. Throwing one now. That was good. <laughs> that was very funny. Dude. Very <laughs> Valentine's. Okay. I am very funny. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, four weddings in... No, no, we're talking about We're talking about the month, aren't we? <laughs> the month of the year. <laughs> He's so excited. I am. I, honestly, right? I've got so many notes for this film. You believe. <laughs> the first time he's passionate about an episode. <laughs> no, I've got, I've got like two pages of a Word document. I've got like Alex, no not, pages don't peek behind the curtain. It's just going to be all facts and no discussion. There's just going to be like another fact for you. <laughs> Hit us with them. Come on. No, no, we're not getting there yet. Well, we are, but we're talking about the news. Get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> Play that sound so, effect again, D. Nice. Nice. The year was 1994, the month was May. Three-time F1 world champion Ayrton Senna is killed in an accident during the San Marino Grand Prix. I thought I'd get that one out of the way quicker. Quite <laughs> get depressing. that one out of the way. Yeah, if no one's watched Senna yet, they should watch it. Yeah, I've put in brackets on my nose. Excellent documentary. Yeah, probably so, one of the best documentaries I've ever seen. The Channel Tunnel opens, taking 15,000 workers seven years to complete. The tunnel enables travel between England and France in just 35 minutes. 
So we call it the English Channel, or the channel, but do we know what the French call it? Uh, I... Le Channel. <laughs> Not far away. Uh, Le True? No, it's Le Manche, which oh, means no. the sleeve. Uh, I went for the hole. <laughs> the hole. No, that's yeah. what they call England. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's what we so I've heard it. them say Le True, uh, <laughs> thinking it was uh, makes sense. <laughs> I have a funny anecdote that I'm not going to give it full credit because I can't remember it. So sorry, mother, if you're listening to this, but a beloved childhood moment captured on video. One of our uncles replaced it with a recording of of a BBC news report on the Channel Tunnel being built. So that memory is lost. (laughs) (laughs) Why you wanted to record that, I have no idea. I just know that I have often seen a recording, which is like half my childhood, and then half <laughs> the channel tunnel. Half your third birthday. <laughs> they do. The channel tunnel was completed yeah. today. A bit of Trevor, <laughs> Trevor Mac. <laughs> so, in uh, contrast to the first bullet point, the third bullet point, Nelson Mandela is inaugurated as South Africa's first black president. It's a very big month for news, this. Yeah, all coming out. I also had a look at a few films that came out the year, so Pulp Fiction was one of them. Disney classic? Yeah, the Disney <laughs> I think it was its actual, maybe it was the Sundance premiere or something. It wasn't the full uh, release. What did get a full release in this month was the Flintstones movie. As close as to like a perfect casting ever done. John Goodman <laughs> as Fred Flintstone. And uh, Brandon Lee's The Crow. Have you guys seen that? Yeah. But I know of it. Do you know the dramatic tale of his death during film? Was it like a rubber bullet was replaced or something? Uh, it, it wasn't was... a rubber bullet. It was an actual bullet, but I think... It was a blank, wasn't it? Well, so they fired a blank, but there was a bullet wedged in there from a previous scene. <gasps> and it and the blank hit the uh, bullet that was in there, and it fired out. Because when you fire a blank, it sort of simulates a proper firing, but obviously there's no uh, cart... Well, there is a cartridge in there, but there's no actual bullet within the cap. But I think because yeah. there was a wedged bullet in there, it, it banged into it and knocked it straight out into his abdomen. What's his name? Bruce Lee's son, wasn't it? Yeah, it's Bruce Lee's son, Brandon Lee. But also came out in uh, May 1994 was the film Four Weddings and a Funeral. Let's get into it, because like I said, lot notes. Cracks <laughs> <laughs> <Rax> knuckles. <laughs> so it's directed by Mike Newell and written by Richard Curtis. The film follows Charles, played by Hugh Grant, and his circle of close friends as they encounter romance and death through the titular series of social gatherings. So have you guys seen this film? Yes. Mostly. 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 <laughs> is, that, is that just through the uh, scenes that featured in the music video, D? Is that what you mean? Uh, no, as in... Uh, should, should I just go into it, yeah? Yeah, yeah, go for it. I did plan on rewatching it for this podcast, but it's mysterious disappearance from UK streaming services meant that I never actually got to rewatch it. So I have tried to watch this when I was like 16, 17, thinking that if I like girls' films then girls will like me, right? Smart move. Smart move. <laughs> I think I got about 45 minutes into this and then turned it off. I thought it was crap. <laughs> well, Your motivation wavered then. What a review. Yeah. <laughs> ben, do you hold it in any higher regard than that? Uh, well, yes, higher regard than that. Um, I think there's quite a lot. I guess I put it in the bracket of all the other Richard Curtis films because they are very similar. Um, in a good way. But I think this is on the lower end. I do like the film, but I prefer a lot of his other stuff. And yeah, I watched it for the second time, maybe about a year, and year and a half ago. And for as much as my wife also loves Richard Curtis, she does not like this film. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm surprised to hear you say that, because I think, like, for me, I think I've seen all of his the films that he's written. Because uh, he, he didn't direct most. I think I think people, people often think, oh, it's Richard Curtis, and directed them. Yes. But the only one really... I think he's only directed three films, one of them, which is Love, actually. One is the 
Boat That Rocked. I can't remember what the last one is. But like his sort of most famous ones that you would associate him with, such as this, Notting Hill, um, Bridget, the two Bridget Jones films, the two original Bridget Jones films, although he did co-pen them with Helen Fielding. He didn't direct. I would put this one highly on his films. I think this one and Notting Hill are probably the two good ones. Well, yes. The Boat That Rocked is, is quite good, but it's not really the same type of film in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'd say A Boat That Rocked is probably one of the best. I mean, I think his best is About Time, which he directed as well. Yes, that was the other one that he directed. I've not seen that one. I think that's I think that's his best film, yeah. But D, interesting enough, uh, you saying that you thought this film was terrible and you turned after 45 minutes. No one involved in the making of this film, possibly except director Michael and Newell, thought that the film was good either. For in which everyone thought it was going to be a huge flop, and I think when they had the uh, first screening with the producers, the directors, and the and uh, the actors, they were like, "This is shit. This is utter garbage, and no one is going to watch this film." <laughs> so clearly, they were in the same wavelength as you. I will go through a few facts. So the film was made in six weeks, and it cost under three million dollars to make, but it became an unexpected hit earning $245.7 million worldwide, becoming the highest-grossing British film in history at the time. <laughs> That's a good return on investment. It's a pretty good return on investment. So Curtis began writing the film at the age of 34 when he realised that he had attended 65 weddings in an 11-year period. I don't know like what's going on with his social Yeah, my God, well, he's got a very big social group. Was he invited, though? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Or was he just like looking in the newspaper and finding, like, in the classifieds, so-and-so, congratulations on your wedding. Bit of free food. Right, I'll just turn up on it. Yes, the film exactly. Wedding Crashes uh, with Vince Vaughn and Owen Wilson's based off the life of Richard <laughs> That's exactly how I picture Richard Curtis. <laughs> But it was at one of these weddings, one of these 65 weddings, that he was propositioned by a fellow guest who he turned down and he forever regretted it. So he wrote the script as a sort of, this is what my life could have been like if I had accepted that <laughs> proposal. Is he married now? Oh, I don't know, actually. Because if I, if I was going around on like press junkets saying that, I'd feel quite bad. <laughs> so Hugh Grant, he was on the verge of giving up acting before audition for this role. Curtis... <laughs> Didn't like him for the film, believing him to be too good looking. And this is based off the fact that Kurt wrote the film with himself in mind. Like, not with himself in mind for the film, but you know, like he wrote the role as like a character that was like himself. Okay, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, having seen a picture of the two of them, I think he is right to say yes, that very much so. better looking. <laughs> Just a tad. <laughs> but interestingly, so Grant, he obviously did get the role in the end because the producers liked him for it. But he did put a halt to production as he wanted an additional 5k just 5k on top of his 35,000 that he was being paid already which proved difficult due to the insanely small budget but was eventually accommodated but the budget was so small I think I mentioned it was 3 million that many extras had to wear their own wedding clothes and Rowan Atkinson had to appear as a vicar at two weddings so even though that seems like it's an intentional joke it's actually oh really great yeah <laughs> it's just something I couldn't afford to have anybody else but well, I mean I presume they could have ordered somebody but no one is as famous as Rowan Atkinson they're good friends, aren't they? I'm assuming they went to university at Cambridge or Oxford, oh, one yeah. or two together. And they were, or whatever. Yeah, they were part of the same set. I think uh, it, uh, Richard Curtis was like a writer on Blackadder and um, stuff like that, Mr. And, and Mr. Bean as well. Yeah, so they, they've they've got like a connection. Obviously, Rowan Atkinson pops up in more or less all of his films. I think at some point. So yeah, what else have we got on film? A lot. I, I, I can keep going with these facts if you want. <laughs> Pasta, come on. Pasta. I've never known Alex so excited. There's one fact later on in this episode that just is amazing, but okay. we'll get to it. Hold it out. I'll, I'll make sure to point it out to you, but you'll, you'll know it when you hear it. Grant was encouraged by director Mike Neal to mess up and trip over his lines to give Charles a stammering, nervous energy. 
which he would go on to mimic in almost every subsequent role. <laughs> that's really interesting, actually, because that's... I was even earlier uh, with, with my wife, I was practising the Hugh Grant impression, and it just comes like out like Boris Johnson. <laughs> yeah, go on, give us, give us a few lines. Like, oh, it's just... Uh, it's just I just don't really know. <laughs> yeah, so it's interesting because you think, well, that's just his shtick. Yes, but actually, it, was, it came off the back of this film, and actually, when they were recording it, he was, but he didn't really get it. He didn't understand that it that it was funny, and it wasn't. <laughs> and according to D, it wasn't. Um, a lot of the people felt that the direction from Mike Noel was um, was weird that he wasn't playing the jokes, and actually, the jokes were sort of like suppressed. <laughs> Clearly, they were suppressed entirely in Dean's view. <laughs> that's um, that's kind of how yeah. So that's kind of how Hugh Grant's shtick started, and obviously that's what kind of made him famous, which is why yeah, presumably he did that in every film afterwards, up until Paddington too. <laughs> it's also what led to Drew Barrymore giving him acting tips in is it music and lyrics, <laughs> which he was very angry about. Was he? Well, they didn't get on, but apparently Drew Barrymore's not exactly the nicest of people. Sorry, Drew, if you're listening. As mentioned, the initial screen testing went very badly. So they must have hit some accidental magic formula because the audience loved it. And yeah, the film was very successful. But no one seems to know exactly what it was in those cuts that made it a success. <laughs> so it's literally accidental bad sound. But... Um, so the US distributors, Gramercy Pictures, were sending frequent faxes to the producers complaining about the explicit language in the film, in particular the heavy use of the word fuck in the opening scene. I tried to say that as, uh, as Yorkshire as well. Four. Four. In fact, it's just, it's just becoming a, a, a more more of a one monosyllabic. In fact, an early screening in Salt Lake City caused conservative Mormon city council members to walk out. But eventually, it was agreed to reshoot the scenes with the word "bugger" instead. Bugger. If you watch this in the US, probably a lot more buggering than there is fucking. <laughs> also, great great tagline for the film. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more buggering, a lot less fucking. But the executives also in the US objected to the title, believing it would turn off male audiences. Would these have made you more likely to... I know you did seek out eventually, but would these have made you more likely? Um, true love and near misses. Terrible. That sounds like a lifetime movie. Yeah. Loitering <laughs> really in sacred places. Oh, That's interesting, but I don't feel like it sums up the film at all. No, it's got an element of intrigue about it, because yeah, like, what is yeah, this yeah. but not then you watch the film and it's like, no. Skulking around and rolling in aisle. Doesn't sound like a film title, does it? No. That sounds like the tagline to Supermarket Sweep. <laughs> They're all awful, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so, just the last couple of things about the film, I've mentioned a lot of facts here. <laughs> so, the main reason it became a huge success was Hugh Grant's publicity tour in the US. And people attested to the fact that his character in the film is a lot like Hugh Grant in real life. So him going around being, or more or less, the character that he played in the film really worked with audiences. So a lot of people went to see it off the back of that. And also, as a result of the success of his publicity tour in the US, um, $11 million worth of ad space was taken out in press and in wow. TV. So that's like four, almost four times the actual budget of the film. Was taken out in US marketing space to really promote the film, and of course another thing that would have helped was the critical response, which uh, unlike D was very uh, positive, very well received in um, award season. It did get two Oscar nominations for best film and best screenplay. It didn't win either, but it did win a lot of BAFTAs, including best film and best actor for Hugh Grant. The film was also the first British film to win a Caesar, which oh, is well. a French Oscar or Froscos, <laughs> if you want. <laughs> In terms of its legacy, The Guardian, in the 20th anniversary retrospective, 
stated that its influence on British film industry, on romantic comedy writing, on the pop charts, on funeral readings, on haircuts, was enormous. Well, I don't know. Okay. I, don't, I don't know what's cultural phenomenon. Haircuts. I imagine that the Hugh Grant yeah. floppy hair. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. flop. Um, and in 1999, Four Weddings and Funeral was placed 23rd on the BFI's 100 Greatest British Films of the 20th Century. In 2016, Empire Magazine ranked it 21st in their list of 100 Best British Films. And a 2017 poll of 150 actors, directors, writers, producers and critics for Time Out ranked it 74th Best British Film ever. So, you know, quite highly regarded. Very. Do you know when Hugh Grant is in the cupboard when the couple are having sex? Yes. That was originally a Mr. Bean sketch. Was it? A failed Mr. Bean sketch, yeah, that he put into it. Just a little tidbit of fact. We've spoken a lot about Hugh Grant so far, but I think we need to talk about another actor. Wasn't John Hanna great in the Mummy films? (laughs) He is very good. He's one of those uh, actors that, when I see him in anything else, I'm really shocked. I think he's also in Sliding Doors. <laughs> he's in a lot. Yeah, of we're talking about now. the Mummy films, please. <laughs> <laughs> Which not, is your favourite Mummy film? Is it Scorpion King? Uh, it's the first Mummy film. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, oh God, say if D, if D says a Scorpion King right now, I'm ending his podcast. <laughs> I think he was in a lot of films, wasn't he? Sort of in the sort of mid to late '90s, possibly stretching into the early '90s. If we're talking about the Mummy films, maybe I don't remember exactly when they were. 1999, Alex, please. 1999, well, there you go, late 90s. And then, yeah, he doesn't do much anymore. He was in that TV show, Touching Cloth. (laughs) (laughs) What a great name. (laughs) Touching Cloth. You can carry on now. (laughs) Okay, well, let's talk about about the film an awful lot. And we've also talked about The Mummy an awful lot there. (laughs) Well, more than I expected, anyway. So let's talk about the song from the film, which is Love is All Around by Wet Wet Wet. Now, the song was originally written and recorded by The Trogs in 1967. And according to lead singer Reg Presley, who will come back in a big way in uh, later down the list. <laughs> you mean just in general? He's going to have a comeback soon. <laughs> no, in this episode. New album out. <laughs> no, he definitely doesn't. He's dead. But he will, he will be back later in this episode. According to lead singer Reg Presley, the song was inspired by a television transmission of Love That's All Around by the Salvation Army. Um, and the song was a hit in 1967, landing at number five in the UK chart. So it wasn't like they'd taken this song from obscurity into the cover version and it was a huge success. It was already a successful song. So Curtis approached Wet 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 directly about covering a song for the film's soundtrack, but offered three options. The other two being I Will Survive by Gloria Gaynor and Can't Smile Without You by Barry Manilow. But Marty Pella from Wet 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 said the choice was easy as they knew they could make Love Is All Around their own. And I imagine that's because it's sort of a bit less well-known than the other two options. Because I can't imagine the cover of the other two being good. No, definitely not. But I think it is a tr- it seems to be a trend with his films that the lead song, Richard Kurtz films, it says the lead song uh, is a cover version. And I think this happens at Notting Hill with the Ronan Keaton song, which I've got the name of right now. Life is a roller coaster. Yeah. Life is a roller coaster. <laughs> I forget. No, I forget which one it is. When you say nothing at all, <laughs> you say nothing at all. And it also happens in Bridget Jones, of course, with Jerry Halliwell and It's Raining Men. And I think uh, Love Actually has numerous covers versions yeah. of songs in it. He also did Yesterday, I guess, didn't he? The latest Beatles film. Yeah, exactly that as well. I mean, literally an entire film. It's a cover film. Yeah, cover film. <laughs> um, so the song spent fifteen weeks at number one. It's the joint second longest run in the UK charts of all time with one dance by Drake. But do you guys know what the number one... Of course we do. Go on. Yeah, come on. Everything I do. Do it for you. It is it. 
So yeah, so joint second after Brian Adams, um, which is a song presumably we must have to do at some point um, in this yep. uh, podcast. So actually, it's interesting that this only spent 14 weeks at number one, because during its chart run, some radio stations banned the song from playing because listeners were fed up of hearing it. And it was actually pulled from sale by the band because it was starting to create a negative feeling towards them. Because I think they were saying it was still selling like over 100,000 copies a week when it was pulled from sales. <laughs> Wow. Was, so who? Was like, who was still buying at that point? It, it's just it's beyond me. So like people like Jarvis Cocker, for instance, went on top of the pops wearing a t-shirt that said, I hate wet, wet, wet. Um, <laughs> Marty Pello said that he was in the cinema and the trailer for um, Four Wins and a Funeral came on and the guy behind him shouted, will they ever stop playing this song? And Marty Pello was like, turned around to him and said, imagine how I feel. <laughs> Which <was> a very <laughs> sad little story. <laughs> But bassist Graham Clark admitted he knew the success had gone too far when they started ordering curries to be delivered from Glasgow to Denmark. <laughs> wow. He, he uh, was commented saying uh, they didn't travel well. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, my mother once sent me a Yorkshire pudding in the post to, to me at university. So I know how. Just one? Uh, just I, one Yorkshire pudding? Just one Yorkshire pudding, yes. So that was when I knew I'd, uh, I'd gone too far. Did it have gravy on it? No, it didn't. But it was incredibly greasy. We're getting on to my favourite fact. So Reg Presley, mentioned him before, he was the person who wrote the song, the lead singer of the Trogs. He obviously made a lot of money from the royalties of this song. It was number one for 15 weeks, crying out loud. Yep. <laughs> what he spent his royalties on is something quite incredible. So he spent all of his royalties from this song on research into crop circles, lost civilizations, alien <laughs> spacecraft, and alchemy. And you can read <laughs> alchemy. You can read about about his findings in his book Wild Things They Don't Tell Us. Great, great name, great name. Yeah, <laughs> playing in the trunk. That is incredible. I love how he, he doesn't even just go for like one um, <laughs> sort of cultural phenomenon in crop circles he also has to throw a bit of alchemy in well maybe he only planned on like doing the first bit and then when it got to like week 10 he was like okay okay i can extend this oh week 13 i can do another thing as well yeah yeah, yeah just get that again. <laughs> oh, God, good. well actually he was apparently not very happy when it was pulled from sale obviously because <laughs> he was making an absolute packet damn it <laughs> i have not researched enough into the law of equivalent exchange <laughs> <laughs> Amazing! It, like I think it's one of my favorite facts this entire time of doing this podcast, and I was just like, "Good to incredible. get to it." Incredible! <laughs> what a weird four point two out of five on Goodreads. Wow! But I can imagine the kind of people who would read it would give it a high rating. Yeah, yeah. This has it's for a very niche market. I mean, oh, the front cover is—it's <laughs> like an—it's like an X Files VHS front cover. <laughs> it's got like it's got the ET like fingers touching on the front. <laughs> it has one review. I wonder who it is. Reg Presley. <laughs> Pedge Resley. <laughs> Alan Burridge is a big fan, it seems. Did you guys listen to the... Um... Actually, I never actually asked you what you thought of the song. Should we do that? <laughs> I was just too yeah, busy to go talking through the facts. <laughs> it's a song I've never... like. I've always known. But if I compare it to Brian Adams, everything I do, which is of that standard, clearly it was a very beloved song by the British public, it's nowhere near for me. I, I like the sort of the unusual rock intro, which just seems to dissipate into like a, just yeah. a mushy, mushy love song. But yeah, after that, I, I've got no other. I see it in a joke sense because of Bill Nye in Love Actually and his Christmas version. That's kind of all I think about when I think of this song. I have never kind of just listened to this song by myself. Whereas Brian Adams, don't you worry. I've got that on, on repeat. 
Yeah, the wet, wet, wet version is not great. But I do think it's marginally better than the Trogs version. <laughs> I was good. Well, that was going to be one of my questions if you guys listened to the Trogs version. Neither of them are very good. The Bill Nye version from Love Actually is actually the best version of this song. <laughs> Not even like a sort of like sarcastic, isn't it funny kind of way. Like it's a better performance and it's a better song. Did, did you listen to the Trogs version then? I did, yes. It's obviously of a time when it was like free love. And I think it was actually 1967, which was that the summer of love? I feel like it was. I think so, yeah. Um, and it's like, it is very sort of like psychedelic. There's even a sitar playing in it at one point. <laughs> but at the same time, it's almost the same as the Wet Wet version. Like, there's not much between them other than the fact that, you know, the Wet Wet version has like more of an orchestra. I did say it was marginally better. You say it Marginally. <laughs> But I mean, essentially, it's, it's the same song, isn't it? And that's what it was odd about Marty Pell saying, well, we thought we could, uh, you know, make it our own. I don't feel, I feel like it doesn't really do that. I think you were definitely right, Alex, in thinking that the meaning of that sentence is the original isn't famous and I can make this my song. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's exactly what it was. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe that's as a result of uh, the song being number one for so long that everyone just got sick of it and that's permeated through the generations. I mean, we were only three in 1994. Yeah, I feel like I know this song very well from my childhood, which seems to suggest that it was still being played a lot longer it was afterwards. A caravan classic, Alex. <laughs> well, I mean, it would one hundred percent would have been, but my, I'm pretty sure my parents had like a tape of like '90s songs on it, and <laughs> this was definitely on there, <laughs> just like '90s songs. And I feel like it was a it was a bit of a karaoke favorite for a lot of people in the '90s. Maybe you know, like drunken men, they didn't really know what else to sing, so they sang a bit wet, wet, wet for the ladies. It's quite, it's not, there's no like high notes. Or it's quite an easy song to sing. It's very slow. You're not going to get out of breath. <laughs> yeah. Did you guys watch the video? The wet, wet, wet video? I did, yeah. I've seen it a few times, yes. My favourite thing about this video was actually his jacket. It was sort of like blue pelt. You know, it was like, it was like animal hide, but it was like, or, or suede or something. But I was just wondering what mystical animal was killed to create this jacket. Because <laughs> it was like blue, but it definitely looked like fur. Very weird. But there's not much more to say about the video other than they're all sat in sort of a blue room for some reason. Yeah, it feels like somebody got like a like a blue light filter for Christmas or something and just went, oh, we can use this. Yeah, they were always like, wet, 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 water, and blue. Obviously, the video then went on to inspire Wonderwall by Oasis. <laughs> I'm sure I'm sure Lee and Noel Gallagher would appreciate that comment. I thought, though, Dee, that you would be more annoyed about the video because it kind of shows the full film within it. I think it was the was it the hero video for Spider in Spider Man that you got really yeah. annoyed about that, and I felt like this very much does that. It even has the full final leads to the final scene of the film in the end. Even it even shows like Hugh Grant being punched at his own wedding, and it, it, it kind of just gives you a blow by blow of the relationship between two big characters. Was that his own wedding? Didn't know. Ah, well, yeah. <laughs> Dee has only seen the first forty-five minutes. Of <laughs> of Dee has seen Dee's version is two weddings. <laughs> There's no funeral. <laughs> Who dies? It's like one point five, really. <laughs> one point. That'd be a better name for film. Yeah, basically Hugh Grant uh, is getting married to someone else later on, but then he leaves her at the altar. I think he also gets decked. He, does, well, he gets punched by and that's what shows in the video. Hits someone with a cross and then gets on the bus and then questions whether or not he should have done that in the first place. Oh, sorry, that's the graduate. Sorry, Cal. <laughs> first of all, you're doing some sort of weird reference to Paddington too, because there's a part where he dresses as a nun in that. Now that's a good film. That's, that's Hugh Grant's best role. <laughs> Maybe we should do that. What's the you know the song that he sings the one man show? That's what I mean when he's going tip 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 tip. I know what prisons like, dear. I was in Les Miserables for twelve years. <laughs> that is his best role. Yeah, that's good. Do you know where it comes in the film, Alex? Well, actually, this is interesting because I don't think it actually features in the film. I think it's in the, must be in the credits. I couldn't find 
and I, like I say, I haven't seen it for a while, but I couldn't find any reference to where it features in the film. But the song by the, the version by the Trogs does feature in the film at one of the wedding receptions. Weirdly, I'm not by any stretch of imagination familiar with the full discography of Wet Wet Wet. You know, but <laughs> no <laughs> surprise, surprise. But were they a big thing before this? Are they considered a one-hit wonder? I mean, obviously, they didn't have another song that reached these heights. I think they were, from from what I've read, they were sort of a relatively successful band. They weren't hugely successful, but this obviously propelled them. And I imagine that off the back of this one, maybe the next couple of songs were hits as well. They definitely weren't a huge success before this. It's not like they just picked someone that was like right on there. You know, like when, when, for instance, they had Sugar Babes sing Too Lost in You, which I think is one of the Bridget Jones films. That's a band at its height. That is pinnacle. The Sugar Babes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think they were Sugar yeah, Babes. It's, like. <laughs> it's not, I wouldn't say they, they, the height is a mountain. It's more of a, uh, a, a ridge. <laughs> sugar Hill. A, yes, the Sugar Hill. A low gradient hill. I don't know if, did we mention it in the podcast or whether it was before about Richard Curtis's wife? I think it was in the podcast. She was actually a radio DJ, and I think she played it over and over and over and over again. That makes sense. <laughs> to help promote the film. So I think right. <laughs> Cheat. all coming together. Yeah, well, I mean, yeah, yeah, it makes yeah, sense, yeah. because I think like the more you hear a song, the more you, you're more likely to like it. I think it's... NWO, a... Richard Curtis pulling the strings of the of the British government. The two things are definitely linked, aren't they? Yes. Even the, the, before I'd seen the film, I knew that the two were connected. And I, didn't, I didn't really know anything about the film, but I knew that this song was from that film. Probably because of the video. Yep, yep, yep. yep. It has to be one of the most famous songs that I wouldn't be able to get on a Guess the Intro because of how different it is. Like the bits I know of it, the sort of the pastiche when it's the I feel it in my fingers. The the guitar intro, I just always forget that it is that at the start. <laughs> it, it just It's so weird, it doesn't fit. I think that that's why I know that it's that song, though. Because oh, really? It's just so oh, big weird. Oh, right, yes, yeah. yeah. Full circle. But as you go, you mean it does feel like two completely different songs. Yeah. Top five, gentlemen. So, I was getting slightly nervous when Alex was reeling through various famous lists, because I do love a list, about where Four Weddings and a Funeral has featured. And the BFI, the British Film Institute, really do love this film. And last year, in a partnership with Google uh, for the release of the Google Pixel 5, they did the 50 most rewatchable movies of the last 50 years. And these are specifically British films. They separated them into different categories. So things like laugh, scare, romance. And they've not ordered them, but they're really hard to get. And I want to know if you could actually think of of five, just any five in this list of the most rewatchable British movies. Now I'll give you a clue. Four Weddings and a Funeral is in that list. Therefore, you cannot use it because that's cheating. Bro. How many, how many films are in the list? 100? No, 50. 50. Oh, 50. Oh, 50 years. Listen, Alex. Sorry, Ben, I wasn't listening. I've honest. been listening to your facts all this time. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Ben. Um, is there any more Richard Curtis films in this list? Who knows? Bridget Jones. Bridget Jones is not in this list. Oh. Notting Hill. Notting Hill is not in this list. Love actually. That's what I mean. This list is very... <laughs> nope. Nope. They have a romance section. Bean. For which there is eight films. Pride and Prejudice. Actually, no, that's a crap film. <laughs> the TV show is much better. There's some films in this which I do not consider rewatchable. Howard's End. No. You do, you're going uh, well. Great Escape. <laughs> no. Well, it's not I don't really think The Great Escape is really a brief. Escape film. to Victory. No. Uh, Italian Job. That's a, yeah, surely. No. 
No, the Italian job is not in this in this list. Exactly. The worst list ever. I have a lot of respect for the BFI, but it ended last year. Thunderbirds. Don't look now. Uh, don't look now, no. So you said there's horror films in there? There's one horror film. Oh, one. <laughs> one British horror film. One Severance. British horror film that came out in 2002. How about Full Monty? Is the Full Monty in there? The Full Monty is not in this list. What? I, do- <laughs> I know, exactly. Exactly. How ridiculous is this? There's eight Black Sheep. comedies. <laughs> no, there's eight comedies in this list. Eight comedies? Is any Are any of them Monty Python? No. There are all, the earliest one in this list is 1999. The earliest film? Yes, yes. In the list is in 1999? Yes. And that is East is East. <laughs> good film. That's a good film. The League of Gentlemen Apocalypse. <laughs> D, I'm gonna, I'm already gonna, I'm gonna let you into a little secret here. <laughs> you are not gonna get them with these kind of guesses. Um, are there any Bond films? Skyfall. No. No Bond films. There is two action films. Oh wait, there is one Bond film. Sorry. Oh, Goldeneye. No, <laughs> the Bond <laughs> film is Skyfall. I said Skyfall. Oh, did you? Yeah. Okay. Two. Right now, I'm <laughs> questioning all my guesses. Oh, I thought you meant that all the films were after 1999. That's why I was so no. shocked. Yeah, so did I. No, the laugh, the laugh, the ones considered humour. Oh my gosh, you are not going to get any of these. Shall I give you some terrible examples in this list? Why it's a terrible list? Yeah, yes, and then maybe please. give you some clues as to some of the Okay, ones. Phantom Thread. Oh, but it's a great film. Yeah, but is it rewatchable? No, it's not rewatchable. Yeah, exactly. It's not rewatchable at all. The English Patient. Yeah, again. Good film. Not rewatchable whatsoever. Oh, so got, they haven't got stuff like Gandhi in it. <laughs> <laughs> they haven't got stuff like Gandhi. They have got a biography section. Is it oh, Lawrence of Arabia? That's nope. what I mean. <laughs> See, about 50 years, Alex, 50 years. <laughs> this, this, is, this is a travesty of a GU shouting out films at me and me scouring through 50 films. <laughs> Moon, again, great film. Is that a Not rewatchable. I was supposed to say yeah. my dad does. Uh, exactly. I mean, the comedies. East is East. Gosford Park. Shaun of the Dead. Wallace and Gromit, Curse of the Were-Rabbit. Oh, god damn it! Yeah, oh, Wallace and I was thinking, oh, surely Wallace and Gromit will be in there. Happy-go-lucky, In the Loop, Four Lions, and Sightseers. To be fair, like, In the Loop, Four, Four Lions, Lions is both good. Gosford Park is pretty good as well. That was the film that inspired Downton Abbey. 28 Days Later was The Scare. Oh, uh, okay. Oh, Train Spotting! It's Train Spotting in there. Um, <laughs> I just don't think it's a Danny Boy. No. Kevin and Perry go large? <laughs> no, there's no more comedies! <laughs> I didn't say it was a comedy. This is, that, this is very, very hard. I mean, cult films. Think of one. Go on, just think of one. Just get another one on this list. The Wicker Man. Yes! Oh my god! Right, we can finish. Was the Wicker Man on there? I love how you said the Wicker Man. <laughs> the Wicker Man. <laughs> is the Wicker Man on? Yes, the Wicker Man is on there. Yeah. Transporting is on this list, actually. Oh, it is? Oh, okay. Well, I've yeah. got a good one. Yeah, you've, got, you've done it. Well done. Well done. Thank you. The, the theory of everything. It's not rewatchable. Who is it? Who is the BFI doing this? I bet this was just Google Pixel 5 doing this. It was just put into a Google Pixel 5 search and just automated. Because I've got higher standards for BFI. Quadrophenia is in there. That's good. So now it's time for the ultimate question of movie or song. So it's Wet Wet Wet, Love is All Around versus Four Weddings and a Funeral. Uh, ben, you can go first this week. Which one's better? Four Weddings and a Funeral, D. Back to you, D. Okay, Alex? Um, I think I would say film as well. Although the song is a bit of an earworm. I think, for one, it's a cover. I don't love Richard Curtis films, but I think it did kind of pave the way for sort of romantic, British romantic comedies. You hear all that in the background. <laughs> British romantic comedies uh, moving forward, so. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how you're going to do that. You have to leave it all in. I'm just going to have to leave it all in. <laughs> Better you do. I'll tell you what, D, though. Uh, once I've read Wild Things They Don't Tell Us, I'll let you know if that is better than both. 
<laughs> well, I mean, I guess movies won based on your votes, but I'd go song because I can stomach four minutes. Ah, oh, see, all right. And as well, you enjoy the Christmas version. I do, yeah. I, I could just go for that. The, the best song from this film is a song from a different film. <laughs> yeah. That's a good one to sum Classic D choice. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of that song from that movie about four weddings and a funeral. Let us know what you think about the song or the movie on Twitter. Uh, our Twitter handle is TSFTMPod. You can help out the podcast on Reddit by sharing this on a random subreddit. What should that random subreddit be, Ben? Uh, I think they should go for the Crop Circle subreddit. Go down well, yeah. Everyone there. I mean, to be fair, the kind of people that go on that subreddit are are the kind of ones to really look deep into why we've posted that and potentially the connections that we might have to certain (laughs) higher up people. Spoiler, we have none. So another way you can help us is on Patreon. It starts from as little as a pound a month or $1.50, wherever you are in the world. That's patreon.com forward slash TSFTM. Please, if you listen to this and you enjoyed it, why don't you give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or any platform? It all helps. Isn't that right, Alex? Yeah, even if you want to just put five stars that you've cut out on paper and send them to D. <laughs> Extra effort. I will take that. Puts food on the table for D. So all that's left now is to do some goodbyes. So it's goodbye from myself, goodbye, and goodbye from Alex. Is it raining? I hadn't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> and goodbye from Ben. Apparently, Wild Things They Don't Tell Us is a great book by Reg, and if you enjoy Ancient Aliens, you will be ready for this. You'll be ready for it? Yeah. Apparently, it's very good if you are an Aliens fan and a Trogs fan, because it's a double whammy. Ooh. And apparently, he poses a few questions. <laughs> a few? <laughs> it's a full book. He poses a few questions. It's a full book. Poses a few questions. So, goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. There's no working class people in any of these films. I think the only working class person I can think of in a Richard Curtis film is Martin McCutcheon in um, in Love Actually. <laughs> the less said about that yeah. sort of, sort of short storyline, the better. <laughs> <laughs> There's also Spike in Notting Hill. He's uh, the guy who he lives with. Yeah, but the guy's living in a flat in Notting Hill then. So like, we can only assume that actually he does have some sort of secret. <laughs> Very true.